Welcome to the second episode from The Ground Up with Mark Weller, a podcast dedicated to the real estate development industry. I'm Matt Rienzo. And I'm Mark Weller. There are so many stories of visionaries and professionals within our industry who've literally built themselves up, their careers, their companies, their projects from the ground up. With this podcast, we want to share those stories, celebrate how development projects are reshaping communities, and hear from our counterparts and experts in the industry who are just frankly doing it right, or at least trying to every day. Mark, in the last episode, we discussed your background and got into Port Covington a little bit. Today, we're excited to welcome Mark Brody, Vice President of Community Impact at Weller Development Company, to the pod to discuss the community efforts around Port Covington. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, This is going to be great. It's very informative and exciting. So we, we always refer to the saying that rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, we say this a lot. And it really hits home when we talk about Port Covington and what we're doing with the MOU and the SB7 communities. Um, before we uh, introduce Mark, uh, Mark Weller, will you please tell us, uh, just tell us a little bit about Mark Brody and, and your thoughts on him and, and what he brings to the table. Well, I mean, we were really fortunate to have uh, Mark Brody come on board uh, when he did. Uh, when we started the project years ago, this is uh, really in earnest back in f- 2015, uh, working with the community, uh, we came up with a plan to go out and address all the different communities that were surrounding us. There was actually six communities surrounding us, and uh, we were meeting with them individually, and we quickly realized how important it was uh, to also allow these communities to communicate with each other and get aligned. And uh, we had an incredible um, young woman who's who's uh, no longer with the company, now with Johns Hopkins by the name of Alicia Wilson, and her and her team came back and recommended that we allow the uh, allow the community to actually get organized with each other and come in and really united front and um, you know it took some time it was months of work to do that but it was the best thing we ever did uh, from there um, when the community was organized uh, and then eventually um, Alicia moved on uh, Mark Brody came in and he came in from you know with just an incredible background working with uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings and uh, incredible experience and we just became uh, we became a, a team and in tandem and since then we've uh, we've worked really hard with the community and, and Mark has taught me uh, as much as, as there is to as, as, as I could learn uh, about what's going on in the community uh, how to respond to it how to be a better listener and and how to work inside the community surrounding us. Well, let's get right to it. That's a great introduction, and, and let's bring Mark Brody onto the show. Uh, Mark, Bro- I got my two marks here. Mark Brody, welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Appreciate you having me. So you're the first uh, guest on the podcast. How does that make you feel? It's pretty exciting. I feel amazing. I'm going to tell my mom all about it. <laughs> That's quite an honor. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome, and uh, we're excited to talk to you. Obviously, you're from Baltimore, and you have a lot of experience, uh, not only in, in government and in, in community building, and in a lot of ways that make that are applicable to what you're doing now in Port Covington. Tell us a little bit about your background and your ties to Baltimore and, and everything that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, you know, born and raised in Baltimore, uh, lived most of my life in uh, West Baltimore, uh, kind of have a, a family history of, of public service and kind of kind of knew coming out of college. That's the direction that I wanted to head. Uh, I worked in uh, the mayor's office under uh, Mayor Dixon uh, back in 07, uh, doing performance measurement uh, at CityStat and then uh, continued to work under uh, Mayor Rawlings Blake. Um, I then went on to work in the Baltimore public school system where I helped principals with their budget and data and community building. 
Um, at that time, I went to law school, and uh, then after graduating law school in 2016, started working for Congressman Cummings, which was an amazing experience uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, just being from and, and around Baltimore, you learn a lot about the particulars in Baltimore and the unique uh, communities. And, uh, you know, Baltimore is a, a, a city of communities, and it's really important to understand each one and the dynamics and, and, and the unique perspectives that they all bring. Tell us about uh, the South Baltimore 7 and, you know, the origination of the SB6 or the South Baltimore 6 and how it evolved. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing to keep in mind is that these are six distinct communities. They're all in South Baltimore, right? Um, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, growing up in Baltimore, I didn't really go to Cherry Hill often, to be honest, or Westport or Brooklyn. And you just you just don't go down there unless you have family or friends or you're dating someone or, you know, there's just really no reason you stay in West Baltimore, East Baltimore, downtown, Fells Point. Uh, and so, um, you know, these communities did not do a lot of coordinating with each other prior to this development. Of course, they talked, they knew about each other, but they all had their own priorities. And so what happened here is that these six communities came together and formed what in the MOU is called the new entity. And so it was created to be called SB6, which is South Baltimore 6. So it's the six communities mm-hmm. that we're in partnership with. And then SB7 is Port Covington as an additional. Um, of course, we don't receive the resources because, you know, we're the developer. We don't need the resources. We're giving them to the SB6. But it's a partnership of seven communities, including Port Covington. And so what you see is these communities talking amongst themselves and working together in, in, in unprecedented ways. Um, and it, it really is a great example of uh, what can happen in a public-private partnership where you make uh, the community the real focus and allow them to uh, get together to discuss uh, their shared priorities and goals. Uh, and then you provide resources and technical assistance to allow them to uh, uh, you know, see those goals out and achieve those goals. So talk about your experience and what that has done for you working on this project now. You know, not only... Elijah Cummings, you know, the late, great Elijah Cummings, but all the other work that you've done, how has it prepared you to do this job well? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So, you know, when I learned about this project, you know, years before I even arrived, you know, just from being a, a person who read the newspaper and saw about this this great up-and-coming project that had some such promise for Baltimore, uh, you know, I, I quickly knew that, you know, in order to do this job, uh, you, you had to understand the, the school system, you had to understand communities, you under, had to understand the workforce space, uh, um, you, you know, you had to understand the challenges that were unique to each of those. And I think by working in Baltimore City Public School System, um, it allowed me to easily transition into a position like this where we're working with principals and their staffs uh, um, to help enrich the uh, climate at the schools in South Baltimore, but also work with them on incentivizing attendance and figuring out what their pain points are, trying to connect them with partners that we might have that they might not be familiar with, uh, and just bringing resources to the table, not only financial, but technical assistance and otherwise. Um, also in the workforce space, uh, you know, working for Congressman Cummings, you, uh, you know, learn a lot about grants that are given to certain programs that work uh, uh, within workforce and, and try to help people connect to jobs and to training. Uh, you know, being in this job here, you know, where we are a uh, service provider, uh, being uh, um, from a government standpoint and seeing the grants that were provided and how they worked efficiently or maybe didn't work so efficiently, um, it's allowed me to easily transition into uh, this role as it relates to workforce as well. How was it starting right before COVID? That must have been tough. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I just gotten used to everybody and figuring out the roles and who's who was who and sort of the org chart and, um, you know, what my role was and what I had access to or not. Um, and then suddenly we're asked to, um, you know, work from home, uh, you know, when I had just gotten to know everyone. So that was a, it was a, a bit challenging. But, you know, hey, that's that's the way the world is today. And a lot of people had to go through that. So I had to just adjust. Um, pretty quickly. And, you know, we had a good, uh, a good company culture where, you know, I think we were able to 
transition. There were some bumps in in in, in the road there, right? With as it was with everyone, but um, you know, I, I quickly figured out like how to uh, keep things moving and keep in touch with everyone, even virtually. Yeah, and I want to hear more about how you did your work during the COVID pandemic too. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yep. And I think uh, you know, obviously, you know, having a real passion for what we do and our our, our different uh, disciplines in the company was always important. And I immediately sensed that out of you, Mark, which I I found really drew me to you. And you also spelled your name with a C, M A R C. So yeah, we hit it off there. But uh, you know, tell us why do you do what you do and and, and why you love it. I consider this uh, an extension of my public service career. As I said, I've worked for two Baltimore mayors. I worked for the Baltimore City Public School System. Uh, you know, uh, worked for Congressman Cummings in a very public-facing role. Um, you know, so I've been on the state level, city level, federal level. And uh, you know, given this project's you know unprecedented inclusivity and determination to uh, uh, lift all boats with this rising tide, it's it's been a very good place for me to continue my public service, even though it's in technically the private sector. Uh, so it's just been a great opportunity to continue my public service, continue to be in the community, you know, keep my face, be relevant, uh, you know, be. Uh, on the phone calls and the and the webinars and and, and everything else uh, that relate to community building and workforce affordable housing and just remain on like the cutting edge of understanding what's happening versus just being able to read about it in the paper so uh, that that's that's been very helpful for me in this role and I think uh, you know becoming partners with you has has really helped me think about how to be more efficient in our partnership with the government we have so much support from the from the various agencies and and the, and the various elected officials for this project because of the opportunity to to help the community and create jobs and and so bringing you in from the government perspective all your years in government was incredibly helpful have you found that that we've been able to merge a combination of the private sector and the public sector here in a productive way so far and Give us an example of, of, of what, what we know about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the government sector is always going to be concerned with what the private sector is doing and vice versa, right? They have to work together if it's going to be efficient and effective. Uh, as Congressman Cummings used to always like to say, you know, effective and efficient is, is the key. Uh, and so, you know, we brief city council people. You know, we've been doing a um, sort of a, a world tour of sorts, going uh, to all the different districts and speaking with the city council people about the project, um, you know, dispelling some myths and some misinformation that's put out in the media uh, about what is happening or or what is not happening, uh, you know, discuss with them their thoughts for how they run in their own districts, um, provided our insights and, and offer technical assistance to them, even far from South Baltimore, you know, as far as Park Heights and, you know, Northeast Baltimore uh, uh, as well. And so it's, it's been very helpful. And I think, um, you know, we've done a good job of communicating to them what we're doing and being transparent. I think that's what the most important thing is so that they're able to not only know what we're doing when they're speaking to their constituents, but also uh, uh, consider us as a resource and as an opportunity for them to merge with they're doing in the in the public sector with what we're doing in the private sector so that we can be more efficient yeah that's excellent and, and mark uh and i spoke a couple of weeks ago about um kind of the narrative around the city and you know you mentioned it um dispelling some of the myths that are out there um what are some of the things you want people to know that we are doing that maybe there's a misconception about um out there whether it be in the media or in the political world Absolutely. So, you know, basically, if you're not directly involved with the project, if you're not maybe one of the six communities 
uh, leaders in those communities who uh, are part of the SB7 coalition, with it, which is a 501c3 that we developed through the MOU with the city, uh, where you know the developer, us, and the communities all have a seat at the table, and we discuss uh, sometimes well into the evening um, and on weekends. Uh, you know, we discuss uh, the status of the project. You know, whether we're keeping our commitments, how we can do a better job, what the community is saying, what they're needing in real time. Uh, and so, you know, I want people to know that we're meeting and exceeding our MOU requirements, um, you know, in a lot of areas. Uh, and so uh, when you talk to people on the ground who are actually involved, they know that. Uh, people at the City Hall Law Office who look at our numbers and kind of hold us accountable isn't trust but verify kind of thing. Um, they know. All right. And uh, but if you're not directly involved, you may, you know, miss misunderstand something or, or, or hear something in the, in the news or on social media and just assume it's correct, but you have to actually go and speak with the people on the ground. Um, you know, but the, the TIF infrastructure dollars, you know, 35 million um, to minority women-owned certified Baltimore City businesses already, um, and that's just for the TIF infrastructure. We have over 100 million spent with minority women-owned firms to date um, overall on the project, and that's like shattering our targets. Our targets are like 27 and 10, 27% minority 10% women-owned business, you know, at times we were up upwards of 50, 60% uh, on the project. And of course it varies because, you know, different times throughout the construction schedule, there'll be different needs. Uh, but, you know, we've been hitting the targets and exceeding them. Um, City Hall Law Office knows that. I just want people to know that we're keeping our commitments there. Um, you know, we're keeping our local hiring commitments. You know, 51% of all new hires have been Baltimore City residents. We're sticking to that. Um, you know, the coming out of the gate with this uh, chapter one phase that we're in right now, which I'm sure Mark has talked about prior and is looking forward to talking to some more, uh, you know, 20% of those units, the residential units, are going to be affordable housing uh, per, uh, you know, the, the, the local uh, area media income as the MOU dictates. But we could have done 12% out of the gate uh, on-site and 8% off-site. There was an allowance for that, uh, uh, you know, because the market fluctuates and things, you know, may dictate that we're not able to do that. But we came out of the gate intentionally and had to go through a lot of hoops to make it work that 20% are going to be uh, affordable uh, housing units on-site right out of the gate, which is really amazing um, and just a testament to our dedication to uh, the city of Baltimore. Yeah, I heard you talk about that a couple weeks ago on uh, the Center Maryland podcast, and, and you talked about... Um, the fact that those those units are indistinguishable from the other units and they're mixed in with the other units. So you're getting yep. people who are, you know, going to get a, a reduced uh, rent on their apartment in one of the coolest new places uh, in Port Covington in Baltimore. And talk about why that's important. Yeah, that's important because, you know, and I didn't know this coming from the government background. I'm learning a lot about real estate, uh, which is a, another exciting uh, piece of this whole uh, job for me is to learn more about this whole process. And it's been great. I've learned a lot from all of you guys, you know, Mark and everyone else. But, you know, a lot of times with affordable housing, what they'll do is they'll, they'll cram the affordable units into a section of the building that's like in the back right with no view or they'll stack them on top of each other and you can kind of tell like whoa that whole wing looks different i wonder why um and you know what we're doing here is that we're making sure that they're uh, indistinguishable from uh units that are for you know doctors or lawyers or engineers or whatever the case may be um so you'll never know whether it's an affordable housing unit or not um, you know, they'll have the same finishes, they'll look the exact same. And that's really important. Um, we like to think that this is a, a really good example of nationwide how you can do equitable development. Um, and so, you know, very proud of that. And I, I think it's just uh, something that we should be shouting from the rooftops. And, you know, the city council people know and, and the mayor knows and, and everyone's been very, very happy and very satisfied to hear that we're keeping our commitments in this way. Yeah, one of the most exciting things for, for me, Mark, is, is having somebody of your caliber on board and then really 
executing on the plan of making sure that uh, shareholders and stakeholders are on the same level. So shareholders, meaning the people invested in the project and the people looking for a return and, and stakeholders are the people that are, are literally living in the community and so on and making sure that we live up to that. And I know you came on believing that that was the case, but tell us how you feel since you've come on and how you feel going forward and making sure that we're living up to our end of it. Um, I always, uh, I always enjoy working with you, but it's been exciting to, to really push that, uh, push that envelope to make sure that the community sits on top and is really a priority in the project. Absolutely. I mean, look, the, the, the community received $10 million just a couple months ago from the project, you know, but for the Port Covington project, uh, those six communities would not have received a $10 million investment directly into their uh, communities, right? And so- uh, That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. That's unprecedented. I, I, I challenge anyone to find where that has happened before. And it's not like there's strings attached where we can say, whoa, and roll it back and say, hey, you're not spending it correctly. It's really up to the community to decide how they're going to spend it based on their own strategic goals. Um, and I think that's a really important part of the process. There's also long-term funding. Um, as Port Covington grows, literally there's going to be a fund, a community contribution uh, per square foot on for-profit commercial space uh, that that's going to be put into a fund that's going to go two-thirds of it to the six communities um, every year. Addition, I mean, that's going to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars as Port Covington grows. And then one-third will go citywide. Um, and the, the decision on where that goes will be uh, made by a uh, consortium and advisory group uh, made up of folks from the mayor's office, comptroller's office, uh, and the community um, and the different sectors, arts and health, et cetera. Uh, and so those, those, those types of dollars and, 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 and financial uh, resources that can be dependent on by these communities is, is extremely important. Um, and it just makes me really proud to, to, to be here. And, and from Mark asked what I've seen since I've been here and whether, you know, we keep our commitments, um, you know, there's some naysayers out there, but I mean, if you really look at what we're doing, um, it's important to just look at what actually is being done. You know, don't look at what folks are saying or just look at what actually is happening and what's, and what's being done. And But for this project, a lot of benefits would not have uh, come to this community that are, and, um, and, and that's, that's something to be proud of. My actual most exciting part, the money's great, and it's been awesome to make sure that the money, the money was sent over to the community when it was supposed to be there, but the technical assistance portion that, that we agreed to and that I, I believe we go way above and beyond is the most, is the most rewarding piece for me because that's direct contact with community members with vision and ideas. And uh, you know, a lot of that really became real and enhanced when you, you came on board and we were really able to start providing uh, that assistance. So do you mind talking a little bit about that? Because that to me was as important as any, any dollars that ever go in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you, you have uh, different types of relationships, right? You have transactional relationships where, you know, someone just says, here's a check and, you know, good luck. We kept our promise. Goodbye. Have a good day. Right. We'll see you back in six months. Uh, but that's not a way to be effective and efficient because what happens there is the community has ideas, but they may not have the wherewithal or the capacity or the you know, knowledge and experience. Um, you know, these are great individuals, very smart individuals in these communities. They know their community. They're very smart, but they may not know how to uh, uh, properly set up a community land trust, for instance, or, uh, you know, get an office space um, at, at a proper market rate, you know, and not get kind of ripped off um, by some person who's trying to sell them um, a building that's only worth X and they're going to end up paying Y for it. And so, you know, knowing that they can come to us because it's not a transaction 
traditional relationship. It's, it's an actual partnership uh, and say, hey, we have this $10 million. Thank you. Here's some of the ideas we have to spend it. Um, do you know anyone that can help us there? And I was saying, yeah, of course. We have engineers on staff. We have architects. Um, we have uh, construction firms that work with us that, that you know have within their charter that they're going to do certain, I don't know if you call it pro bono or not, um, and that's my legal world. But you know, they have, they have you know, uh, commitments to do certain work in the community for free. Um, and so we, we reach out to those folks and we, and we get things done more efficiently. So instead of waiting for the community to kind of sometimes fumble around because, again, they don't have the exact expertise, you know, you help them spend the money more effectively and efficiently in real time by providing technical assistance. And that's like a super huge part of the MOU. Got it. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about the coronavirus pandemic and, and you started a handful, What's that? <laughs> a handful of months before it, it hit us in March. Um, how, how did you do your work? during that time T- tell us a little bit about what you did because a lot of it is you yeah. know uh, in-person meetings and events and things like that how'd yeah. you do your work and what yeah. did you do during that time it was very difficult because i'm a much more hands-on person and i came to this job with all intention of being you know gung-ho every day out in the community making it happen you know doing my thing uh and then suddenly i was you know forced to sit in my kitchen uh with sweatpants on uh maybe a, a, a polo up top but um, you know, we just had to get creative. We had to talk to the communities. Priorities changed. You know, instead of, uh, you know, focusing on um, finding a good place for the SB6 to have their meetings and to have a, a, a an established office location, it became, hey, how can we store 1,000 pounds of chicken that have been donated, uh, you know, for the Westport and Brooklyn communities uh, because it's not getting distributed until next week and we need somewhere to keep it. So, you know, the priorities change, you know, Wi-Fi and getting creative about, you know, the digital divide. Uh, you know, helping with sanitizer and, 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 and mass distribution, which we did a lot of, uh, you know, coordinating resources to these communities, it, it, that, that became more of the goal uh, because you have to, you have to pivot. And in real time, the communities had different needs based on the pandemic. Uh, um, we kept everything else in mind, but we weren't able to host a lot of events. We weren't able to do any convenings. Uh, we did some things by Zoom, but, you know, that, that has its challenges and, um, you know, it's not as effective in a lot of, in, in a lot of uh, spaces um, to try to have something that you're supposed to do in person virtually. Um, but we did the best that we could. And, uh, you know, I just continued communication with everybody and had like a weekly set of calls where I would say, you know, what are you guys needing? You know, what what can we do? And then I was on different calls with the city of Baltimore and the state and Maryland Food Bank and, you know, CDC and hospitals and just hearing what other communities are doing and what they're receiving and then sharing that information with the six communities we're in partnership with and just trying to make sure that they were aware, like, hey, there are laptops for free from Comcast if you call this number and say these words or, you know, if, if you reach out to the Maryland Food Bank on Tuesday before four, you can get uh, uh, food delivered on that following Friday, but you have to call before four and say this person's name. So, I mean, there's just all these uh, uh, little little tricks and, 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 and kind of uh, bits of information that, that I was able to share with the community. And that's what became important um, during those, especially initial days of the pandemic, you know, maybe March through pretty much January, February of this year uh, uh, was a really difficult time for everybody. And so, um, again, just trying to be a good partner and, 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 and pivoting to, to the needs uh, in real time. So th- this is pretty incredible when you talk about real estate development and everybody thinks of, you know, developers chasing money as their only goal. And now you've talked about, you know, minority businesses and women-owned businesses and local hiring, and you've talked about giving money to the community, millions and millions of dollars, uh, the work you do in the community every day, the engagement with the community. Like, is this the new model for real estate development? 
uh, or what? I mean, I don't know of anyone else doing this to this level. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I often say that, you know, working for Congressman Cummings, you know, a lot of developers and ideas would come across our desk. You know, people would get a lobbyist and they would say, hey, I want to meet with Congressman Cummings and tell them about this great idea I have for this community. And, you know, we're going to, you know, increase jobs and, and the health and the well-being. And it was always aspirational. Uh, but, you know, our project is actual, right? There's not, it's not an aspirational goal. It's like, you know, the things are on paper. We've made these commitments and it's real. Uh, and so, you know, I, I would say that's, that's probably the difference. I can't call us a national model. I would love to think that other people would look to us and say, hey, this is successful. You know, the community's benefiting, the developer's doing well, you know, the, 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 you know, leases are getting signed. People are going to be moving in. We're going to be, you know, uh, uh, jamming down there. It's going to be restaurants and activity, and it's going to be humming, and it's beautiful buildings and space, and you want to come to all the public parks, all this beautiful uh, uh, new things that are going to be in Baltimore that weren't there before. Uh, but there's also a huge community component as well uh, that is just as important uh, and, and, and that needs to be recognized. You can't see it getting built in real time with scaffolding and, you know, concrete and, and mortar and, and, and drywall, but it, it exists just as much and it's just as important, especially for those communities uh, surrounding the project. So I really hope that people look to this as an example of what can be done uh, in other areas of Baltimore. Um, you know, tips are difficult, they're complicated. You know, this, this process is complicated, but it's not something to be scared of. Um, and I think that the mayor's office understands that. I think city council people understand that. Uh, you know, that you, know, you need developers just like the developers need uh, the public sector as well. Like every, it needs to be a symbiotic relationship uh, in order for it to be most effective. And I think people should look to us as a good example of that. Well, it's incredible what you're doing, what your team is doing, what Mark Weller's team is doing for the community and with the community. And uh, hopefully it is a model for everyone else doing this type of work across the country. Um, so, Mark, I want to get your take, Mark Brody. Um, we do a segment every podcast. It's called The Rising Tide Moment. And uh, it's really about the story that you want to tell about something that's happening in Port Covington that's lifting up others or lifting up uh, the economy or, or anything in that realm. Um, what's your rising tide moment? Okay. Can I just make a suggestion, Matt? I think you guys should have some kind of music that says rising tide dun, moment. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. No, it be like a thing. If it's going to be a thing, let's make it a thing. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Can you cue the yeah. music, please? Okay. Rising tide dun, moment. Dun, 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 dun. Perfect. College-bound foundation scholarships, rising tide moment. $1 million has been committed to and paid out to the college-bound foundation as of just two weeks ago, the final uh, payment for this year, which would have now totaled $1 million, has been committed and uh, given to college-bound foundation. They provide last-dollar scholarships, for those who don't know, to interested uh, high school Baltimore City uh, students who are actually interested in college but just need a little hand up. Uh, to get to that last dollar. They might have a scholarship or they might have um, tuition from family, but very little. Um, I've actually uh, participated in, as a volunteer with College Bound for many years, and um, I'm part of the Essay Readers uh, uh, volunteer group. And so we, we grade the essays of the students who are looking for the scholarships, and they're very uh, well-written. It's, it's a really strong, very competitive process. Um, and the, those who win are those who you know, have obviously great grades, they have a real financial need based on their parents' uh, um, income. They have great uh, marks from their um, staff at their school, their teachers, letters of recommendation, et cetera. Their personal essays are very strong and they talk about their passion, what they want to do and challenges they overcame in life. I mean, some of these kids have overcome a, some real serious challenges that you're like just blown away that you know a 17-year-old can speak so poignantly about such a difficult time in their life. 
Um, and so the fact that, you know, this project and the MOU committed $1 million to scholarships, right? That's just one example. I forget the exact section of the MOU, but it's in there. And that has been kept and uh, the promise has been made and kept and College Bound has received $1 million in scholarships that is now, I'm told, uh, spawned further investment uh, from uh, the Ravens organization where they're now going to be providing, uh, I believe, $5 million um, to College Bound, uh, which was a direct uh, um, outgrowth of the investment by the Port Covington development team. So it's just really exciting and just a rising tide moment. Um, we have access to all of the information from the different students. Uh, the mayor of Baltimore is a college-bound alumni. I got help from college-bound. There's two city council members that uh, are college-bound alumni. So you never know, this million dollars could end up uh, um, you know, putting a, a young person through college that will end up being the governor or the president of the United States. You just never really know. So it's just super important in the rising tide moment. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really incredible. And, and why doesn't everybody already know about that? Like. Well, that, I, there's so yeah. much negativity. Why not the positive stuff? I, I think, you know, one thing I've recognized from being on this team is that it's tough to do the work, be engaged in the work, but then also pat yourself on the back and toot your own horn. And, you know, a lot of people are more inclined to say, you know, well, what have you done for me lately? Okay, great. One million dollars. Whoa. What have you done? I mean, that's a huge amount of money, right? You ask, you ask College Bound, you ask Cassie Motts, who runs College Bound, Alicia Wilson, who's a chair. They know, like, it matters. Like, that $1 million makes a huge impact. Um, and like I said, other people see that investment and say, hey, well, maybe I should invest, right? Um, and so we, we don't go out there pounding our chest. I mean, we could talk about all the amazing things that we're doing, and, um, but we're busy doing the work. We don't have time to do that. So, Well, that's incredible, everything that you're doing. Yeah, I just want to comment out on how incredible the work that Mark and his team are doing. Uh, it's been really exciting to partner essentially with Mark and become his friend and, and watch what they're doing. And I just want to thank you very much for everything. Uh, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, I know it's a 24-hour day, uh, seven-day a week job. And uh, it's just impressive, incredible to watch you uh, execute on the, on the big plan and the big picture. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that, Mark. My pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Um, really just an awesome conversation with Mark Brody, Vice President of Community Impact with Weller Development Company. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for sharing all that information. Um, and you, you gave us our new Rising Tide Moment uh, audio, so we're excited about that. That'll live on for years to come as this podcast uh, grows and is successful with hundreds of thousands of listeners. So thank you. Sounds good to me. We hope you enjoyed this segment on uh, Port Covington and From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. In our next episodes, we'll be expanding and talking with others in our industry, so stay tuned for those announced new guests. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or a person you'd like for us to interview, just reach out to us, drop us a line on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.